It is five of the clock. It's me, Richie Allen. Welcome to The Richie Allen Show for Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. Hope all is well in your world or as well as can be expected. I've got two very interesting guests lined up for you today. Welcome to the programme. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, this hour, I'll be joined by Marilyn Hawes, the founder and CEO of Freedom From Abuse. She's a wonderful lady, teacher, uh, a campaigner against child sexual exploitation for many years. Speaking to Marilyn this morning on the old WhatsApp thingamajig, I mentioned to her the government's scheme to re... well, to to house Ukrainian refugees. Marilyn Hawes has called it pedo-paradise. What does she mean by that? We'll find out this hour. Marilyn Hawes joins the programme. The journalist, the academic, the lecturer... And the author, David Sedgwick, will be on in the second hour. It's been a long time since David was on the programme. Terrific guy. We're going to talk about Amazon, among other things. It sells 80% of the world's books. What the world's books, what does that mean for writing? What does it mean for the authors who write? What does it mean for free speech? Well, David Sedgwick will tell you. He's had a few run-ins with Amazon. He'll talk about that and much more in the second hour. It is Tuesday's programme, live from BBG Towers here in the magnificent city of Salford. It's your baldy gammon, Richie Allen. Da-da-da. Now, what's going on according to the Times? That is thetimes.co.uk, thetimes.co.uk, this afternoon. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine has said that his country should accept that it will not join NATO. One of the demands, one of the demands made by Russia before the invasion. Listen up, as we say back home. Zelensky has said that Ukraine should accept it won't join NATO. The Times is calling this an apparent climb down. I don't have any audio for you. This is a recent, a very recent development. He said, Ukraine must recognise there is no open door to membership of the Western Alliance. He, Vladimir Zelensky, was addressing the Canadian Parliament today, kind of like the same way he addressed the House of Commons here in the UK last week. He received a standing ovation. It was all very familiar. Does it mean that an end is in sight? Now, negotiations between Ukraine and Russia continue. They're happening online, via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or some other app location or whatever. Any thoughts on that? What does it mean? Zelensky saying, listen, we have to accept we can't join NATO. Now, remember, only a week or two ago, 
not long after the invasion, the same man, and it must be said, his cabinet, said time and time again they would never back down on that, that Ukraine should join whatever it chose or chooses to join and that it's none of Russia's business. Any thoughts? We'll see what develops during the course of this programme. RichieAllen.co.uk That is where you can leave me a comment. Okay. Just when the UK has gone mad with the excitement of allowing a Ukrainian refugee come to stay, we hear the Ukrainian president say, well, we, 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 we have to accept we won't join NATO. So you might be getting all excited about housing a Ukrainian refugee or refugees or a family. It's what they're calling the Homes for Ukraine programme. This is one of those things. I've been doing media, radio for a long time, as you well know. This is one of these things you just cannot believe when you hear it. You say, is this... Is this a bunch of people working behind the scenes, laughing amongst themselves, giggling about just how stupid the proletariat is, how stupid the population is that will get them to buy this shit? The Homes for Ukraine programme, which is basically a brand new government game show called Tinder Refugee, where the contestant or the UK citizen goes on social media to locate a refugee or refugees, a person or a family. That's right, contestant. You've got to troll through TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and others until you see the one you want. So you can have loads of fun swiping right, swiping right, no, no, bit fat, no, don't like the beard, no. Not sexy enough, no, no, until you see the one you want. When you see a family that takes your fancy, send them a message over social media inviting them to come and stay with you and your family. You think I'm making it up, don't you? No, I'm not. So when you've trolled through the Tinder refugee program and found the sexy refugee you want to bring back to your house, you send them a message, they say, okay, I'll come and stay with you. You you then go on the Homes for Ukraine website. And that's where you tell the government you found your match, your super match, the super match game, super match game, super match game. Found one, and then you start the ball rolling and you get the paperwork started. Eh? It's absolute vaudeville, isn't it? Isn't it? What is it? Muppets, absolute Muppets, and this is a real thing. Now, Matt Hancock, who will, I suppose from henceforth, will be known universally as Matt Wankcock, the former health secretary, as odious a character as has ever bestrode the Westminster stage, a scumbag. Remember Matt Hancock and the, the fake tears at the, at the first vaccination of that old woman they stuck the needle into. Remember Matt? Remember Matt with Gina Lollabridge? Not Gina Lollabridge. Gina, Colla, Gina Colladangelo, his mistress, underneath the, underneath the CCTV camera, having a snog when he was telling you to social distance. That Egypt. Matt Hancock is uh, the next contestant on Tinder Refugee. And he told 
uh, his plans for refugees and rehoming and homing and taking into his home on Good Morning Britain this morning. Here he is. Uh, one family. Well, how so, many? How many are in the family? Well, it'll be around five. And you I can put know. five people up in, in your personal home? Um, yes, yeah, so in my constituency home, um, I'd be able to do this. And Would you live there as well? Or well, I, have to, I live both there yeah. and in London. Um, so I'm not there all of the time because as an MP, obviously you, uh, you both live in the constituency and I have a flat in London. Um, so, yes, and, and you know, before going down this route, I checked with my, obviously with the kids and, uh, and, and you know, they're really enthusiastic about it because we, we, I come back to this point, we all want to help. The, the scenes have been so awful. Well, that begs the question, um, should every MP, seeing as every MP has, <laughs> uh, well, most of them have two homes, should every MP offer the home in which they aren't spending the largest proportion of their time to a refugee like you? Yeah. You. You invite me to become extremely unpopular amongst my colleagues. Well, it's you, simple. It's, it's the, yes answer no. is, the answer is that I think, and I really think, that people who don't want to and people who can't, I don't think we should say that, that, that there's anything bad about that or wrong. There's some MPs who, who have security issues, which means that they definitely can't, uh, and I understand that. Um, and there's lots of people uh, who, who just don't have the the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Now, Richard Maidley presenting with Susanna Reid. Richard was feeling a tad sceptical. in the room in this interview is that we all know that there will be cynics watching this and people who will go online and on Twitter and, and social media and they'll say that the reason you're doing this is to help rebuild your reputation after you, you had a fall, you had a bad political fall uh, and you're sort of in the wilderness. Um, and that that's why you're doing this, to basically Im improve your standing. What would you say to people who say that? Well, I, actually... I mean, it's, it's actually completely the other way around. This came from me doing constituency work, which doesn't often get talked about, uh, but all MPs do it, and nearly all of them really enjoy it. Um, and <laughs> then I was on BBC Radio Suffolk yesterday morning uh, talking about the scheme, and I was asked straight up, well, you know, you're encouraging other people to sign up. Mm. Are you going to sign up? And I just answered the question. And then your team phoned and said, should you come on? So, um, it, you know, I, I didn't do this in order to... Uh, to do it in public, but right. if by, by me coming on and us having this discussion, I can encourage other people who are in a position to, to go on the website, sign up, it's really easy. If I can encourage one more person to sign up to this scheme by, by <coughs> coming on and talking to you, <coughs> then it will have been worth it. Right, no. So presumably Matt Hancock and his family, he's away from the wife, and his mistress were playing Tinder Refugee by trawling the social media accounts of Ukrainians fleeing Ukraine to, to pick the ones they want. That should have been asked of him, but of course not. Not on mainstream media, there was no chance. Matt might be saved by the bell, because the bell might go for the 12th and final round. It might be over, judging by noises coming from the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, who, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, has intimated that Ukraine accepts it can't join NATO. What will be the Russian response? Anyway, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of this country, is off to Saudi Arabia to meet Mohammed bin Salman, MBS to his friends, a despot, a prince, a murderer, a right old bastard. Uh, Johnson wants to wean us all off of the Russian gas and Russian oil, so he's off to Saudi Arabia to do a deal. Speaking to Sky News today, Rob Powell, well, he had a pretty pertinent question for the PM. Saudi Arabia 
have just executed 81 people at the weekend. Um, alongside that, you've got US intelligence that suggests that MBS, the person that you're going to see, was uh, behind the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Iran may be having historic debts written off. It's quite a good time to be a repressive regime right now, isn't it? I think that what the world is seeing is the uh, return in Ukraine to the kind of brutality, the kind of uh, absolutely indiscriminate bombing of uh, civilian centres of uh, great cities that we last saw in the European continent 80 years ago. Uh, this is quite unbelievable what is happening now in, uh, in our continent. And we need to make sure that we build the strongest, widest possible uh, coalition. You see, Rob should have stopped him there and said, listen, fat boy, I asked you about Saudi Arabia. You know, the head loppers, the guys who like to lop heads off of poor, misfortunate creatures just for the hell of it. Enough with the Russia for a minute now. What about those barbaric nutcases, those Wahhabists there in the desert? Give us an answer on that before we talk about Russia. But of course he didn't. Uh, to ensure that Vladimir Putin does not succeed, that we wean ourselves off uh, Russian hydrocarbons, and that's what the UK is, is helping to do. But a coalition with other unpleasant regimes, Prime Minister. Well, those are your words, uh, Sam. What we want to do is build the widest You're clear possible. that Iran and we Saudi Arabia build, are not unpleasant regimes. No, I didn't say that. But we want to, we want to build the widest possible uh, coalition uh, to ensure that uh, we, we focus on what is happening in uh, Ukraine, the effect that that is, happening, uh, that is having on the price of oil and gas. There's, there's no question at all that the, the spike in oil and gas, which is being felt by British consumers, by everybody who uh, has a, uh, a central heating system, everybody in this country is seeing the effects of, uh, of that, that spike in, in prices. We have to deal with that in any way that we can. Uh, and, and what we need to do is build long-term security of energy supply in this country. And blah, 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 blah. Rob Powell did ask Johnson... He said, hey, I heard that the Iranian government has given Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe back her passport. They've returned her passport. Will she be home soon? And Johnson, blah, 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 blah. well, it's looking very good, right? And then Rob Powell said, has the UK agreed to give 400, oh, sorry, I know he said 400,000. Has the UK government, as part of the deal, to release Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, who's been in prison in Iran for several years, has the UK agreed to pay back £400 million, which was owed, genuinely owed to Iran? He wouldn't be drawn on that, would Boris Johnson. There's some disgusting things going on in the world. Lots of disgusting things, sadly, and we end up talking about them on programmes like this. Here's a disgusting thing. You know that LBC, which calls itself Leading Britain's Conversation, don't panic, you won't be hearing Annie James O'Brien today. You know that LBC took it upon itself to reintroduce McCarthyism to the Western world. How did it do that? Well, it published the names of some academics, some lecturers at universities, who had the, well, the absolute, well, the, the goal, the goal, the temerity to, to not believe some of the anti-Putin, anti-Russian propaganda pouring out of UK media in the last couple of weeks. So LBC, 
went around gathering tweets and gathering names of academics, honest men, lecturing in various things at universities. And LBC said, these guys are basically pro-Putin apologists, which is bullshit. These were just guys who said, well, you know, Russia says it didn't bomb the maternity ward, or it did, but it, it had told the United Nations days before that the building was empty and had been co-opted by military volunteers. All these academics did was say things like that. Like, for example, the United States has been accused by Russia of, um, well, basically doing biological weapons research inside Ukraine. Now, for pointing this stuff out on Twitter, LBC Radio called out these guys, and amazingly enough, Robert Halfen MP, the chair of the Education Select Committee, and Nadim Zahawi, the Education Secretary, they promised to crack down on academics who promote so-called pro-Putin propaganda. And you think I'm exaggerating when I say we live in a fascist state, when I use terms like totalitarianism. Here we have the media and the fucking politicians colluding, colluding to target academics at UK universities who say, hang on a second, there are other claims being made around some of these attack stories that we hear all the time in the media. The Russians have actually said, well, hang on a second, we didn't do this or we did do that. And you have the media and politicians going after them. 24 years I've been doing my job. And even I am aghast at that. I've written about that on richieallen.co.uk today, if you want to read it. I'll be talking with David Sedgwick later on, and that will come up. Amazing, isn't it? Imagine the balls of a politician to say we're going to crack down on academics in this country for having an opinion. You'll say to me, ah, Bolly, sure, they've been doing that for the last two years. Of course they have, and they got away with it for two years. They got away with attacking, marginalising, insulting, belittling, and ostracising scientific men and women who said that lockdowns were deadly and that the vaccines were not safe. So, of course... They're doing it to academics who say, hang on a second now. Yes, Vlad was certainly wrong to invade Ukraine. And shelling cities is a crime and that must be dealt with. But hang on a second. Not every story coming out of Ukraine is accurate or is supported by the facts. Oh, we'll go after them. And you know, LBC Radio, rather than invite these academics on to robustly debate them, well, they report them to the government. They criticise them. They talk about them, but they don't give them right of reply. Wow. Yes, it's uh, 20 minutes past the hour. You'd love to be making this stuff up. But no. And then this morning, 
Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but this morning, UK television presenters and radio presenters, well, they just fell over themselves, gushing and fawning over a Russian television producer whose name I couldn't pronounce if my life depended on it. Marina Ovzikanovikova, I don't know. Marina Ovzianikova. Ovzianikova, that's it. Marina Ovzianikova. She walked right into the middle of a live news show and she said, stop the war, don't believe the propaganda, they're lying to you here. That's what Marina did. And she had a placard, you've probably seen this, which said the same. It said the same. It was emblazoned on the placard, that which she was speaking, which she was saying. They're lying to you, she said. This is on a national television channel, much favoured by the Kremlin in, 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 uh, in Moscow. Yes. And to hear them this morning on the BBC, the irony, dear listener, you had BBC presenters like Nikki Campbell calling her inspirational, inspirational for standing up to her tyrannical government and for not repeating government propaganda. Inspirational, said Nikki Campbell, who obviously doesn't understand what irony is. I'm sure he bored people at parties over the year. Well, you know, the United States, Americans don't understand irony. You don't understand irony. You're going to praise someone for standing up to their government's lies. A woman who might have went to prison for it. In fact, it turns out that Marina of the Anakova was in court this afternoon and was given a $200 fine for having her say about the propaganda. But you have presenters who were used like cheap prostitutes by their government over the last two years. Presenters who took every press release about COVID, rinsed and repeated it, never challenged a word of it, told their listeners the jabs were safe and had gone through the proper trial process. Scumbags like Campbell, liars, propagandists, going on telly this morning to applaud a woman for standing up to her government's harmful propaganda. I know, isn't it? It's crazy. I'll tell you, Marilyn Hawes will be on the show shortly. Don't forget David Sedgwick later on. This is the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, with me, Richie Allen. This is Aslan, the great Christy Dignan. The song is called Crazy World. Back with Marilyn. Uh, do leave your comments on richieallen.co.uk Music from Aslan, Dublin's Aslan, that's crazy word on the Richie Allen Show, 26 minutes past the hour. So talked about this at the top of the programme. File it under, you just couldn't make it up. The government asking people to troll their social media accounts to find Ukrainian refugees, to then invite them to come and stay with them in the UK. If they agree, you then go on a government website to say you've found your match and that's when you get the paperwork going. This is astounding, this. If, if I wasn't reading it in the last 24 hours, I wouldn't have believed it. Let's welcome back an old friend to the programme, what she doesn't know about protecting children 
from trafficking and sexual exploitation isn't worth knowing. She's the founder and CEO of Freedom From Abuse. Um, she's had to deal with this in her own personal life. She's a teacher, a terrific public speaker. Let's welcome back to the programme, Marilyn Hawes. Marilyn, <laughs> what in the name of God is going on? Go on the internet, find a refugee through pictures. I, I think a politician described this yesterday as being Tinder for refugees. Can you believe this? Honestly, Richie, well, I, I, I can because the government are just, they just don't think things through properly. I mean, really, you couldn't make it up, could you? I mean, this is, even without doing it that way, it's a potential paedophile's paradise. I mean, you, you, you all pick a child. You know, if my children's abuser was around now, charming, good-looking man, was a teacher, a churchman, you know, until we found he was guilty of what he was doing, he was teaching all his life before he was caught. So when people say that, I mean, I, I have been pushing and pushing, are the, are the government going to be doing vetting on these homes? Because if you're inviting people to this country, you have a duty of care. And these youngsters, the children and their parents, are going to be intensely traumatized. I mean, it's bad enough if you were born in Syria into the war zone. These little ones and their mums had a completely peaceful life that just went pear-shaped overnight. The trauma and the shock makes them ever so vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable, and therefore at easy prey for predators. And, no. and if people think I'm bonkers, 70% of abusers are never reported. You've answered, so, my, you've answered my next question because I was going to point out that the government claims that, you know, strenuous background checks will be done on, on anyone living in a home where the refugee will arrive. So whether it's a, a dad or a mum or a brother or well, a sister, that's what the government says. Yeah, but hang on a minute. These people also have grandparents. We're not in COVID now where you can't see the family. What about the person over the road? What about the woman next door? What, what about the postman or, the, or what, whatever? You know, it's not just confined. It, it, it's about the also, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. People are going to hate me for saying this, but I understand completely why people feel driven, the, the good people that think, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I've got a beautiful home with five bedrooms, say. I haven't, I live in a cottage. But, you know, with five bedrooms, oh, I have to do something. I totally understand that absolute, well-felt, good emotion to want to do something. But have those people thought it through as well? What I'm saying is, think, not just about now, not just about, two weeks after you've got this family or this child, this is going to go on for six months. You've got to think of language difficulties. Now, in this country, we are incapable of looking after our own children who are traumatised with mental health issues. So how and where is the money going to come from to look after these horrendously traumatised youngsters? Where Are they just going to be left stranded? Are they going to be left to get on with it? What is in place to hold and look after those youngsters? Now, for the ever so well-intending person who has a heart of gold, do they know how to cope with the night terrors and the screaming that these youngsters would give vent to 
once they are feeling safe, that's when the behaviours come out. This is and a very good point. Happen. This is a very good point you're making here. I, 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 I have my. I personally have had no experience whatsoever in working with somebody who's been terribly traumatised, either through, you know, having to flee a bombed city or because you were sexually abused. I wouldn't be able to deal with something that came up with with a family, with a child or with a parent if they were to become ill. That's a brilliant point you make. The other point you make is um, the, the, the country's on its knees. There, there are millions of people are on waiting lists to get treatment for, for things that were delayed because of the COVID mess. It's an, it, this, is, this is a perfect storm, isn't it? Th- th- it's a perfect storm. And I, I mean, it's a dreadful, it's more than a perfect storm. It's a tsunami of emotion and horror, isn't it, that's taken place. But be, I mean, I can't believe that this is happening. I still find it surreal. I mean, I, I cry every day when I see these poor people and these, I, I just, it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But I'm not, I'm not, how can I say, I, because of the job I do, and, and be left in no doubt, honestly, Richie, my phone hasn't stopped by similar organisations like myself who are into safeguarding saying, yeah. I mean, I can't believe I can't believe this is happening. I said, no, neither can. Well, I can actually, because they, they don't think the government isn't, oh, yes, let's do it. You know, you can't do this on a knee-jerk response. Where's the infrastructure for this? You know, where... The NHS, the schools, are these children not going to go to school? Then you've got the language barriers. Even foster carers have to go on courses because children who are being fostered, once that child leaves its mother, and don't forget some of these children, their mothers have died in this hideous, hideous, unnecessary war. The the trauma that child feels, even if you're a healthy living child, to say you give birth to this child, the child is taken away to you for, may I say, forced adoption in some cases. And don't let me, you know, that does yeah. happen. And it's, it's criminal. So that happens in this country. But the foster, that baby, the moment it leaves its natural mother, is already traumatized. The cortisol is already spiking and working on that baby's incredibly sensitive brain. The brain is so sensitive to imbalance of cortisol, uh, uh, well, it keeps going until we're 25. But in those very early years, and some of these children, I mean, they look like my own grandchildren, are toddling and, and, and under three and three years old, that trauma cannot be understated. And that is going to come out in behaviours. I once had a lady stay with me who um, was uh, domestically abused by her GP, right? And... Uh, but on the, along the journey, uh, it turned out, because I had come out of a domestic abuse marriage, I had, was in it for 19 years. I've been happily married now for 22 years. But, and and she, she was a client, and she ran away from her incredibly abusive husband who had a knife at her throat, and she knew where I lived. And I, I took her in, and I told the police what was happening. Every single night, I was up sitting with her. She was completely, did not know what was going on. She screamed most of the night, and I mean scream. She had night terrors. She could not wake up out of these hideous dreams, and I just sat there and held her hand. Can you imagine now you've got a youngster doing that, and yet you've got two very healthy children who are now also going to be traumatized by that experience? This is what's not being thought through, and yet 
I know I'm playing devil's advocate, but I'm speaking from experience, Richie. I, my heart bleeds for these people. So no, what I know have it we does. done? I know it does. What we've done, we've, we've, we've like, we organised in our village, we organised a 10 ton truck to give you filled it with stuff, food, you know what, and whatever, and sent it off to Poland. But to my mind, to a safer thing would be the government finds the homes and the, the hotels, whatever it is, we can house people in. And then, so that we don't have corruption with different governments and different borders, we then help the, the, the traumatised families when they are on our shores, on our, on our territory, where we can then get those food, money, whatever it is they need to, to, to the, ch- the children, the families when they are here. And that is far less of a safeguarding risk. But scattering I them around the country. Leave. Scattering them around yeah, the country. Yes. Now, you said something there yes. a moment ago, which is very important. You talked about that unfortunate lady who'd been, uh, oh. who'd been battered. And as, as, as decent and as kind as you are, there, she needed care that you couldn't yeah. give her. And that's what's going to happen. Let me just bring this into the conversation. About an hour ago, the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, took to her feet in the Commons and said that evidence is emerging that some of, some of the children who've left Ukraine and have ended up in Poland or Romania and other places, evidence is emerging that they've been trafficked. Child exploitation gangs are already picking on these oh, children and taking these children Charlie, away. Yeah. Richie, they'll be hovering around like wasps. Where there's vulnerability, predators are there. I, when the, before the migration, this is outside of, of, of this, before, before, before the migration really, really got going, and I suppose I'm going back maybe now eight, nine years or more, I went to Siberia and uh, uh serbia sorry siberia i went to serbia and i met the government there the government there and i trained on grooming and stuff like that because people were coming through their borders and it was a massive romania is huge a huge trafficking place it's huge and and they come to serbia another one they travel through these open borders and there was then even then going back all these years ago when i was in serbia there were thousands of people around the borders offering a thousand euros to desperate mothers who believed their children were going to go to a better life. Right. Now, when you're desperate, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yes, poverty, desperation brings you to your knees in a way you would never normally consider because you're desperate. And when you're destitute and you've got a child to feed, it is extraordinary what mothers will do, which in another time of life, in another moment, they wouldn't consider doing. But then we don't know. And, and I, may, I promise you, I'm going back eight, nine years. And I can remember thinking, that, oh, my God, are these children going to be trafficked for domestic servitude? Are they going to be exploited as uh, you know, to, to be to be raped and to be filmed or whatever, and even then snuff videos made of them, so they're then murdered while they're being videoed, be, being being raped. Hang on a Are second, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm going to ask you this because you've just mentioned, this is new to me, you're listening to Marilyn Hawes. Marilyn is a teacher, 
mother of children who were abused, an advocate for the victims of child exploitation, go to freedom-abuse.org. As long as I've known Marilyn Hawes and, and read about her and watched interviews of her, um, she's not being sensational. Are you telling me that you know of children who were taken and were, were, were filmed being murdered for the sexual satisfaction of others? They're, they're called snuff videos. I've heard of the they're term, called... but going on in Europe in the twenty in the twenty first century, I, I, it goes on in this country as well. It goes. There's people that go missing. The number of children that are missing in this country that are never found is horrendous. There's something like one hundred and forty thousand children in this country who have been exploited and have gone missing. No one knows where they are. That's the reality of our own children in this country, right? Now, when we were in Serbia and trafficking, trafficking, it's happening in this country. I'm telling you now, the children are trafficked and their organs are sold. Maybe they're taken abroad, but their organs are sold. Somebody wants a kidney. So it's not just necessarily sex. It yeah, could be it, could be, for it could be organs. So let me ask you this then. Are you telling me that when Michael Gove, the housing secretary, when he announced that people could go online, identify a Ukrainian refugee in need of help, and invite them, are you telling me that there will be predators rubbing their hands, predators oh. who haven't been discovered or haven't been convicted, yes. and will be looking yes. to get... Right. Yes, absolutely Inevitable. Will. Absolutely will. Because I'm saying, I absolutely know that my children's abuser, head teacher, so-called churchman, all of that, and it was a very, you see, you get different types of paedophiles. You get the very, very ones that are very gentle and interrelation and, and relatedness. Or you can get the very controlling. Well, they're all controlling, but they do it in different ways. But you can get the very autocratic controlling ones. But somebody like Jeff Carney, my children's abuser, would have definitely applied without a doubt. He had a smacking great Victorian uh, villa, beautiful place where there were uh, tenants and all sorts. Wonderful. He could have literally taken six children in there. He would have done it. I absolutely know he would have done it. And he would have said it's for altruistic reasons. And everybody would have said, oh my gosh, isn't Jeff Carney amazing? I know. I, I truly I can tell you now he would have put his name forward for that and everybody would have gone, oh, well, of course, Jeffrey's such a wonderful man. And he, I, I kid you not, the, there are children here. And I tell you, let's go back in time, shall we, Richie? Let's go back to World War Two, when children were evacuated in this country, right? When no one talked about sexual abuse. They're talking the 1940s, aren't you? How many yeah. of those children were actually sexually abused by, by the people whose homes they went to? They will have been. They will have been, but then no one talked. No one talked about it, but they will have been. The government uh, should know you. this. The UK government should be aware of this. Oh, Michael Gove is a is an idiot. He was useless when he was education secretary. I mean, he's just just. I mean, he, where are his brains? Up his backside, and he's, he's, he's as, as about as useful as a chocolate teapot, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what hasn't he said? And not just him. There are um, where. Oh, let me say this. Where is Will Quince? Will Quince, you never see, you never hear. He's conspicuous by his absence. He is the Minister for Children and Families. Has anybody heard of him? No, not. I, I couldn't have told no, you that. No. He should be advising Michael Gove. People who are the, the, the safeguarding minister, they've got one. Why isn't 
that person involved in this decision or are they? But Michael Gove is the front man. They are the people that he needs advice from. This should not just be him. Where is the evidence that they have really thought this through? Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, 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 I, I kid you not, truly, when the, the, the dreams, the traumatic dreams that people have, the, the nightmares, I mean, it, when this woman did this, this screaming, I, I would know, and I'd say, oh, no, not again. It, it, it's blood-curdling. It is a blood-curdling scream. Now, fortunately, I didn't have any children in my house, but had I, I, I just don't know. So I'd have my grandchildren staying when that lady stayed. Yeah, yeah. You know, they would have been, they would have then been traumatised. Then you've got to think, and here's another thing to think about as well. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying... Please think carefully because foster carers are chosen specifically. They're put on courses. Yeah, they're put on courses to deal with children who are traumatized. These wonderful people, the good people that are coming forward are, are going to, you know, they, they don't know what they're... They have no idea what might be coming. What, so they might they be very well meaning. Like. They don't know what's coming down the line. Yeah, and, exactly, you know... They don't know... But you know, honestly, Richie, as well, you, when, what was I going to say? I was going to say something, oh my gosh, I, I feel so passionate about this because I can see some things going horribly wrong. Foster carers, that's right. The number of foster carers where the situation is not working and that foster child is moved on to it's moved on somewhere else, care. yeah. What's going to happen when there's lovely people say, look, really, you, you come to our house and then they find they can't cope or they find it's not working out. Very important this what because the, the government says, the government says if you sign up to this, it must be for a minimum of six months. This oh, is a no, very important point. What happens it after is, two or three weeks and it's all going pear-shaped? What happens exactly. then? Yeah. What happened? What you know? Now, when I was when I was divorced, let's talk about vulnerable women here, okay? So when I was divorced, all right, I get into a divorce. I was tra- I was traumatized because I had the four children. I had no money. I was homeless, and I bunked in with an excellent friend of mine. And that's when my children, my twins, went to stay with the headmaster, and and not on his own. He had friends there. He had an old lady stay there as well. So he wasn't on his own. Um, and I was desperate. When women are desperate they very easily fall in love with the wrong person. The wrong person who is now really gentle, really pleasant with you. Then that could be a very innocent guy who's somebody's husband, and now that woman's staying in that could have a crush on that man. I can see it. I can see it. I can see all sorts of situations happening that people don't see coming down the track. It may not happen, but what if it does? You've got to be, 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 what should I say? Knowledge is power. If you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it's having that knowledge, that, that awareness. And Michael Gove, has he got a system? You can't just say to people, oh, you've got to have them for six months. What if your own children don't like this yeah, person? Yeah. What if you don't like them? What if they, I mean, I'm sure they're perfectly lovely people and traumatised. Everybody looks extremely well turned out. The women are particularly stunning. Beautiful, beautiful women, aren't they? I think high cheekbones, you know, really attractive ladies, young women. And, you know, easy me, easy target. And I am talking about 
the you know these predators are charming wolf and sleep in sheep's clothing but the very fact you could pick a pick a family and that is just Bonkers. I've never heard anything like it in all my life. I've, I've been a journalist for 24 years. Jesus Christ. I mean, if you think about it, it's one of those things that might lead you to run out of your house screaming, running up and down the street. It's mental to tell the population, go on the internet and find a refugee family and then speak to them through social media and then invite them back home and, and we'll sort the paperwork out and we'll give you £350 a month. It's, it's, it's tantamount to lunacy, this. But no also, good can come of this. Also, they, if they're vetting the family, well, hang on a minute. How are you going to vet them? Because vetting means DBS checks. Yeah. DBS checks take weeks. You know, you, you, you can't, what are you going to do? Put that child in situ before the DBS checks come through. Who's going to pay for those DBS checks? How else? Are you going to it's vet madness, them? This. How else are you going to vet them? And also, you've got to think the, the the dodgy person, right? The dodgy person. So let's look at a few dodgy people that have changed their name. So let's look at Ian Huntley. Okay, Ian Huntley was in another in another parish. In just remind, parish. just just remind the listeners. I mean, this is one of the all time great monstrous bastards. Now, let's yes, remind the listeners it, of who who this guy is. Ian Huntley, who murdered the beautiful two little girls from yeah. the school in Soham, S-O-H-A-M, Jessica in and Holly. where he was, yeah. where he was caretaker, yeah? And so he, in another county, was known as Ian Dixon. So he changed his name to Ian Huntley. Now, under that former name, he had issues. He was on the radar. So what does he do? And you can do this even if you've served time in a prison, right? You can, and I'll tell you another prisoner who's gone back in, which I predicted would happen, but Ian Huntley was not Ian Huntley. So what does he do? He lies on his DBS. He changed his name by depot. And yes, of course, he lied on that, that he had no conviction or anything, right? So, so in school, accepts him, thinking he's got a clean bill of health. Another person, let's look at Colin Pitchfork. Colin Pitchfork last year, um, big hooey. He came out after many, many years in prison for, well, 20 years ago or more, was it? Um, he murdered two teenage girls, age 15. It sexually abused them and murdered them. And then he came out last year. Oh, the parole board thought, what a great idea. And I was asked then on air by people, I said, that man is going to be back inside by Christmas because he will not be able to control his urges. So what was his name? Two years before he was released, his name was David Thorpe. He changed his name from inside prison for £40 by Depot and DBS. He was known as David Thorpe. He wasn't Colin Pitchfork. But last Christmas, he went back inside again because he was tracing girls around parks yeah. and following them. But am I, am, I, am, I right, am I right in my understanding that provisions have been made to prevent paedophiles doing that, the name changing. Has that been dealt with now? No, it has not. You're kidding me. No, it has not. And we are, with the Safeguarding Alliance, we are still campaigning for that not to be allowed. And then we come up with the political correctness and this new thing, look, woke, that, oh, well, what if they were transgender? Well, we've got got men in men's prisons saying, oh, I'm now a woman. And they insist, because of their human rights, that they can transfer to a female prison, but they've still got their penis. So if you're transgender, fine. You, you, you change your whole, 
your whole body shape. And transsexual, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you really, but if you haven't done that, then you're not transsexual, are you? You're not trans, you haven't trans, you haven't transitioned, have you? But, and women have been raped inside by, by men that have insisted on their human rights because they're transitioning. And in well, Scotland, and in Scotland right now, uh, from the age of 16, people can change their gender and they don't need to have any medical check or anything like that. They can go I know, from one I day know. to the next and say, I'm a man or I'm a woman or whatever. But the, but going back to the, the, the you know, the, this country has just gone, I, I mean, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm not sorry on the age I am because I think it's just gone completely upended. It's, it's just gone... It's just gone. All common sense has gone out the window. And how Michael Gove is Michael Gove feeling the pressure from, um, you know, because the UK has had a bad press, hasn't it? About, oh, we're not taking in people. We're not taking in people, blah, blah, blah. But then Pretty Patel, I'm no friend of Pretty Patel. But to be fair to her, to be fair to her, she is saying we have to have checks and visa checks. I mean, you know, if it went wrong, then they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. This is a very good point because you might have refugees coming here into the arms of predators, but, you know, the flip side of that coin is you might have people coming from Ukraine that are bad eggs too and that could do bad things here. It's a a very good point. I I say to schools, and I'm training a school up here tomorrow, and I talk about safer recruitment. You know, people that come in from abroad, if, if they've been here less than three years, then I say to anybody recruiting somebody who's going to be putting somebody in the front line of children, go to their, should be going to the um, uh, embassy and saying, I want a deep dive done on this person, please, because they just come back. They yeah. just come over with a letter of, oh, yeah, they're a good person. That's it. Can I ask you this? Because we, we've got about six, seven minutes left. Let me just do a very quick summing up and then I want to ask you about something different because of your teaching background. You've been listening to Marilyn Hawes. Please go to freedom-abuse.org where you can support the work of Marilyn. Please do. Freedom-abuse.org Let me ask you... Not at all. No, please do, folks. Let me ask you this now. This is where we might find some disagreement, which is no bad thing. We're pals, we can fall out and then we'll be pals again. (laughs) But no, I mean this. Yesterday you had the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, suggesting that very young children should be given lessons in misogyny. Now, I've got this bee in my bonnet about leaving children alone, particularly young children, and not, not asking them to think about these things, not telling them about relationships and telling them what they can't say to girls. And what you, you know, I know, look, I know, ultimately, we, we have another issue and we'll talk about, I swear we'll talk about this another time, and that's violent pornography. That's a different issue. We, we but, have to do that. Well, we, we will, that, we will, I swear. We'll do it, we'll do it in, in, in early April. I, I, I'll sort it out. But we we'll need park to, that. because this, yeah, but park it for a minute. I know what you're going to ask me. I yeah. know what you're going to ask me. I want, to, I want them to leave children alone. I want them to leave young boys. I want them to stop telling young boys that they're, you know, they've got a monster within them and, you know, you know that they could be sexually but, deviant. But, 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 leave them alone. But, but what, again, this is where the government's got it wrong. There's also a thing called misandry. Misandry is girls that are like that. Girls who have a hatred of boys. And believe me, I go through, I go around the schools, what they should be teaching, and they are not doing it, is respect. If you respect 
the same or yourself, the opposite sex, your own sex, whatever. You have real respect. You wouldn't even think of being a misogynist. Yeah. Because you would respect. So I go into the I go into the schools and I'll. I, it is horrendous, Richie. I will go. But you talk to high school, school students, I'm, Marilyn. Is that right? You talk no, to high school students. Oh, I. Show, I well, that's good. Child. I have no problem with that but, because because they understand it. Like when when. But I, even when they're in prime, but Richie, even when they're in primary school, I talk to them about respect. Not mis. No, why why teach them misogyny? It's about respect. You do not go round calling each other awful names. I mean, yeah. I and a lot of this. So I was with some fourteen-year-old boys the other day and girls, and I said, "Okay, girls, can I ask you when you go round the school?" And I know it's true because I've heard it myself. I said, "Do the boys call you slag, hoe, bitch, slut, whore?" And they go, "Yes, they do." And I said to the boys, "How do you think that makes the girls feel? And what makes you entitled?" to feel it's okay to say it. Where do you get... I, I want to ask you, where do you get these ideas from? Because porn. I have porn to, is the answer. I, it is porn. Yeah. They said to me, I said, come on, I want to get inside your head. I'm, I'm not a teacher on the staff here. I've come in to try and get you to think differently about a way of being. And it begins with respect. Not just, you know, we've got two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak and use your brain before you open your mouth. What makes you think it's okay to say it? And they said, well, what, what they went on oh, social media. I said, exactly. Anything else? I know exactly where, the, where it's coming from, but I want you to tell me. And they said, well, the games, absolutely. Grand Theft Auto being one of them. And then they said, adult porn. There you go. I said, that's the one I'm looking for. We have to have this conversation, Richie, yeah, because adult pornography yeah. is distorting Boys are becoming more aggressive because they think that's what they're entitled to, and girls are becoming more compliant because that's what. They well, think you know what, Marilyn? I'm I'm 47. Pornography isn't what pornography used to be. No, I'm sure. No, it's not. I'm sure no, that way back when, you know, I'm sure that women have always been exploited. However, oh, whatever exactly. the porn films look like. But when exactly. I when I was sneaking videos out of the video shop. When I was a, a young boy, early <laughs> teens, the sex was was normal, gentle, silly, almost sometimes art yes. house type sex. Now, yes, if you go onto any of the big up. websites, whether it's Pornhub.com, whether it's XXX.com, it is vicious, rotten, vicious. violent and, and, porn. And, and, it isn't right, sex. It's monstrous. Yeah. But this is some this is some of the reason for the mental health issues. That yeah. is the first thing the youngsters see. And what happens is the dopamine, the, the happy drug, spikes yes. at such yes, this a is level. Important. Yeah. It's dangerous to the developing brain, which is another yeah. conversation we need to have. But you know, I, I was in a class of boys as well where I, I said, Okay, girls, we're talking about respect here, Lance. Okay, so I said to the girls, you know, I every woman in this school, every member of staff, every female, however old or young they are, will have had some idiot say to them, oh, you're Mardi again, are you due on? And all the girls started laughing. And I said, am I right? And they went, yeah. So I said, okay, boys, why do you think that's offensive? Why do you think? Because this is what happens to our bodies every month for the next 45 years, every four weeks. And some idiot opens his gob and says, and I'm not just talking about young boys. I know plenty of husbands that say, oh, you do one again. They deserve a slap. 
because this is what we go through. And I said, let me tell you, boys, now you're not going to believe the answer I got. These are 14-year-old boys, right? I said, do you believe me? I said, we feel shit. Our stomach bloats, we get spots, we feel tearful, we get headaches, it's awful. And then we bleed and we feel like we're losing our life's blood. And, it's, and we go through that every four weeks. And then that feels, and then one boy, and then they all admitted it. And I said, come on, you're ripping it out of me. You're, you're, you're not for real. And they said, seriously, 14 years old, watching porn because they don't get the answers about sex education that they're looking for. I said, yeah. well, you won't get it on pornography. I'm telling you that now. So they didn't know why women have periods and, and how we have them and, and why, why we don't have them when, when we're pregnant. 14 years old. Hello? These are things we were, we, we were taught in, in the first year of high school when we were 13. This is basic biology. We were it's taught this stuff, biology. yeah. And, and, it's the school, and the schools, it, it, it's all about having to be seen, to be politically correct. And it's yeah. it, I think it's worse than that. We're out of time for today. I want to just mention oh, the website Ricky. again. No, I, listen, I, I I'm a man of my word. I want to talk about this because it's massive, this subject of, of, of what has happened to pornography subject. and how easy and it, it is for kids to find this stuff. Marilyn's website. Also, I'm going to give you the final also, word. I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds. Before I do, it's freedom-abuse.org. Marilyn Hawes you. is a heroic advocate for sexually exploited no children. Funding. I know you get nothing. I know that. No funding. You you. know what's terrible? I see on the mainstream media, and it pisses me off. They don't have the decency to put the website on the bottom of the screen. They should do that. I know they don't. So I thank you hugely. And please, everybody, please don't think I'm a nasty person. I'm not. I just want people to think this through because the government hasn't, as usual. Marilyn, look after yourself. Thanks for coming back. God bless. You too. God bless. Uh, In York today, Marilyn Hawes where she's been speaking at a school there, retired teacher whose own children were abused. And uh, when she discovered that, of course, that was a horrendous thing. Obviously, prosecuting the guy uh, who did it, he was eventually found guilty, went to jail. And she's been uh, working with and on behalf of children for many, many years. That violent porn thing is a very serious thing. And I've often wondered about it. What has happened to pornography? And... um, I have watched uh, pornography. I think any bloke who says that he doesn't or hasn't is a lawyer. Um, Recently, yeah, I would say recently, soft stuff though. Um, I won't get into it. Maybe I will on a late, late night show. I used to do a show on the radio in Spain where I used to talk about kind of men's things with two doctors, a guy called Dr. Carlos Diawana and a, a doctor called Raymond Pratt. They were amazing guys. They worked at a hospital in Malaga. And we used to talk about these things, you know, watching porn, what sort of porn do you watch? Why do you watch it? What does it do to you, the brain, the physiology? What does it actually do, the biology of it? And she talked about dopamine there. And she was kind of getting into, and it's hugely important, young lads particularly see this stuff and after a while they no longer become sexually aroused by it. So they move on to other things, harder and more disturbing things and eventually move on and move on. And I have a question and I'd love to know the answer to this. Eventually, is, is that somehow connected to... A number of people have told me on this show in recent years astounding things. Remember we had the paedophile hunters on about four years ago and they said to me, Richie, if we go online and we set up a, what do they call them? 
not, not a honey trap. They had a term for it where an adult would go online pretending to be a child to, to kind of smoke out some paedophiles. And the guys from this paedophile hunter group were saying to me, Richie, it takes seconds for these paedophiles to come out of the woodwork. And they're all types of people, middle-aged, older, young, men and women. Somebody said to me recently, and I know David Icke has been talking about this, that the prevalence of paedophiles is always increasing. So what is making that happen? Why are there more paedophiles than there were? And I know nothing about this, but I wonder, has that anything to do with with por- pornography, the dopamine dopamine issue, where people go after harder and harder stuff and can't get satisfaction from it? Does For some people, not for all of them, does it eventually lead them down the road of children? And I want to get into that. These are things we haven't talked about very much in the last couple of years. They're not nice things to talk about, but I think they're very important things. You can leave a comment at richieallen.co.uk. That is my website. Comment live at the top of the menu bar. This is The Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, uh, here in the northwest of the UK. Lots and lots to talk about between now and the end of the programme. David Sedgwick joins the show. David will be with me in a few minutes' time. He's a uh, university lecturer, author, journalist. He's written some fantastic books uh, about the BBC. Amazing reads about how the BBC does what the BBC does and why. We'll talk to him about some of that, but also about Amazon, which sells 80% of the world's books today. What does that mean for freedom of expression, for authors who want to be published What does it mean for free speech? Well, David will have plenty to say on that in a moment. Back with your comments. Well, I'll do your comments now. Well, yeah, I'll do your comments now. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Cookie says also the internet has connected them together. Yes. And I don't pass... A young person, I hate the term, I don't pass a child in Salford uh, without that child staring down. You have to avoid them, don't you? You have to kind of step out onto the road to avoid them. Or, as I do in some cases, I say to them, heads up, heads up, I say to them. When they're children, obviously you're not so stern, but I say heads up, walking down the street staring at a screen. Who's doing the parental... Do you think that kids can't circumnavigate the parental locks and all of that garbage? It's only a click away for kids, for boys, for girls. Disgustingly violent pornography where unimaginable things are done to women and to men and it's legal. It's, it's out there. It's on the home pages of these websites. Yeah, I, I'm not... You know, I don't want to be repeating myself, but... Martin says security has changed in the last three months. He says, I delivered a parcel to GCHQ yesterday and there was a Spanish contractor who works for a UK company. He went in three months ago to do some work. He went in three months ago to do some work, but they're only letting people in with UK passports now. The chap who took the parcel from me said a lot has changed in the past three months. 
Bridget says, 100% correct. Respect is what makes the world go round, not love. Although that all feels a bit retrospective these days, she says. Busy says, with all the sanctions being imposed on Russians, isn't it about time the government froze the assets of those two effing meerkats? <laughs> they were on TV again last night, brazenly flaunting their enormous wealth, says Busy. That's funny. I had read somewhere Busy last week that those meerkat ads, which is for a price comparison website, I had read somewhere that those ads would be taken down. Honestly. Amazing. Yeah, the stuff that we've been listening. Seven, seven minutes past the hour. Janet mentions, Richie, how do we know that uh, we are not bringing pedophiles in? Did make that point, Janet. I did make that point to Marilyn. It does go the other way. She made it. Marilyn made the point. You know, when you're saying, right, let's, let's cut the bureaucracy. Let's remove some of the red tape. Let's do it quicker. You're taking chances. Absolutely. Chris and Emma say, Richie, we live in a small village in Northumberland. We have a homeless family sleeping rough and a young man sleeping in the park. Is this the sign of things to come? God bless them, say Chris and Emma. Yes. Pandora makes a recommendation on the violent pornography show. Thanks uh, for uh, that, Pandora. Paul says, stop making it sound like all killers are male, please. It's BS. Nobody was doing that, Paul. Nobody was trying to make out that all killers are male. No, we weren't doing that. Uh, hi to Vicky. Hi to Abdel. Thanks for all your messages. It's time to do something else. Right, it's uh, eight minutes past the year. Here's music from Albert Hammond. Coming up in a couple of minutes' time, it's David Sedgwick. Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Isn't that a lovely thing? I've just had a WhatsApp message from Marilyn Hawes. She says, God bless the listeners of the Richie Allen Show. Some donations are coming in. Thanks for supporting Marilyn Hawes. Uh, you know, I don't endorse very many people, but I'll endorse Marilyn because I've known her for many years. And she doesn't have a pot to piss in. Most of what she does comes out of her own pocket, going around schools around the country and talking to, to children, um, to teenagers, and, and warning them about trafficking and exploitation and, and that. It's very important. Now, just before we welcome David back to the programme, it's uh, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. If there's anything you'd like to contribute between now and 7 o'clock, please do that. Um David is an old friend of the programmes. He hasn't been on for ages, but um, he's an author, a university lecturer and a theatre critic. He also knows, he knows more than a little bit about motor racing too. He's written about it. Now, David has been on this programme in the past to talk about BBC Brainwashing Britain, which is a must read, and the follow-up to that book, The Fake News Factory. Um, they are outstandingly put-together books, which um, I don't want to use kind of hyperbolic language or uh, to be sensational, but books that really pull apart what the BBC is, what the national broadcaster is, how it came to do what it does now, um, and how it moved away from education, uh, entertaining and informing people. He told me today, and he's right, 80% of book sales in 2022 come through Amazon.com. 
.com or .co.uk and that has profound implications for free speech um, and freedom of expression. Let's welcome back to the programme David Sedgwick. David, welcome back. Lovely to have you Hi, back Richie. on. Hi, Richie. Good evening. And good evening to you too. You know, in light of everything that's happened in the last two and a half years and how the BBC has basically enabled much of it, the Fake News Factory and BBC Brainwashing Britain, I think those books should be inserted into the Bible, into the Holy Bible, because it's almost chapter and verse of what we saw during COVID, how the BBC, you know, basically pushed the government line on on everything from mask wearing to lockdowns to, to vaccines and basically marginalised every other opinion. You weren't surprised yeah. by that, were you? <laughs> no, um, not at all. I think I, I'd been warning that that's what the BBC had become in, in both those books. Um, and in fact, I've noticed in the last few weeks a uh, few extra sales on those books. I thought they'd peaked a few years ago, but I think with the way that we're, where we are at the moment, I think people are, are coming back to books like mine, which, which is very good, but uh, I don't like profit necessarily my main aim is to try to put across another side to the debate and um it's very heartening that people are are coming back to look at those books and i I didn't want to be i don't really want to be right about the bbc but um i'm afraid that that events today like you said in covid and, and the russia ukraine thing i think they're just bearing out what i said four or five years ago yeah they are they absolutely are we spoke off air today about the spectre, let's call it the spectre, of a national news radio channel colluding with the government to put the frighteners on academics in this country because Mm. those academics have asked a couple of questions about news stories around Russia. Now, it'll sound stupid me asking you, did you see that coming? Did you see the media colluding with the government to target individuals? It's a stupid question. You've had to deal with this yourself. Yeah, because this this is simply, I mean, this is McCarthyism. Um, this this is what they call the Red Scare in, in the ni- 1950s when American senators were grilling individuals about what they called the sympathies. I mean, how on earth do you know what somebody's sympathies are? So today, what we've seen there, that LBC, it's, it's a horrendous um, development today, I think, a very serious development that LBC have been targeting some British academics at the Edinburgh and Leeds University, naming and shaming them. And that's a key part of this. It's a very well-known communist tactic to name and shame your opponents and then hope that they're going to take all the flack. And those academics are very, very serious academics. And what they did, they simply tweeted, I think it was a tweet, actually, what they tweeted was something like, hey, let's just hold on a minute here. You know, the first uh, casualty of war is truth. There are two sides in every war. Let's just you know, put the pitchforks down a little bit and let's just have a look. And we know the media are complicit in what they're very selective in what images they're showing people. Let's have a look and let's keep our heads about this. They weren't actually, um, actually, as far as I can see, promoting any kind of propaganda. And because of, because they dared to do that, they went off script. LBC and now the Conservative government are, are coming after them in, in what in Stal- Stalin's era would have been called purges. Yes, Yes, for for an education, there's nothing, there's no, no. word for it. But purges, they're trying to purge dissident opinion. An education secretary, where yes. does the guy get the balls? Excuse the coarseness mm. of my language to say, well, we're going to crack down 
on yeah. academics in a country that declares itself to be, you know, a bastion of free speech. Mm. They always say, oh, the Russians and, and Putin, oh, they hate our values. What values? If you're chasing academics and trying to... I mean, these guys could lose their jobs, David. Well, that's the whole, that's the whole idea, Richie. Um, that LBC have done this on purpose, no, no doubt spurred on by their contacts within government. And like you said, I think it was, was it Nadim Zahawi that used that horrible phrase, we're going to crack down. When crack down on free expression, because someone has sympathies, you know, this is we, we detect the wrong sympathies. Well, I'm sorry, that's a completely subjective opinion, what a sympathy is. Um, there's nothing actually seditious in what they, I mean, first of all, you have to assume that, um, that they're taking sides and they're not taking any sides at all. What they're doing is, I agree completely what they said. They've said, look, let's not just rush to judgment. We know there's a lot of propaganda. War is a, is a breeding ground of propaganda. The British government are complicit in that propaganda. And what they're saying is, look, people, keep your heads, make your own decisions, check various sources. And I think that's eminently sensible. I agree 100 percent with them. And to hear a so-called conservative, I think his name's Halfon. Um, yeah, Robert Halfon. Yeah, Robert Halfon condemning them openly based on this. Well, investigation, for want of a better term, whatever it is that LBC are up to. And God knows what they're doing. They're owned by something called Global global media or yeah, something that's um, it. so the relationship between those organizations that that's what needs investigating in my opinion not what academics exercising their right of intellect and free speech are doing it's what this conservative government are doing in conjunction with lbc that's what needs investigating why do you think it is that today you and i are the only people on radio or television speaking about this is it simply because other presenters and their guests are nervous about speaking out in defence of the academics because they might be next. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, how any, that's how any purge or any communist attack uh, or any authoritarian attack always works. You, you make examples, Richie. If you look through any genocidal regime in history, um, opponents have always been made examples of. You know, we've seen those famous pictures of Chinese dissidents um, standing with signposts around their heads in public squares. Yeah. This is a wrong thinker, everybody. The government are encouraging you to hate this wrong thinker. And you can imagine, I mean, if you're a uh, any kind of, certainly politicians, and you, you know yourself from a couple that have been on your show in the past, um, they will not dare to go against that. Once there is a, a head of steam built up by the propagandists, the sort of American ex, uh, imperialist and UK a cabal, once they've managed to build that head of steam up in the media, then all people with anything to lose, if you if you perceive that you have anything to lose, the first thing you do is you run for cover. And in some ways, I understand that. It's a kind of normal human reaction. And, you know, you said, why are we talking about this? Because me and you probably today, Richie, we're probably as independent as we can be. And yeah. we perceive we've got a lot less to lose than those people hiding. That's true. You're absolutely spot on. I, I, I'm aware of that. And it, it's a point well made. It's easier for me, you know, knowing I'm not going to be fired than it would be because it does get mentioned to me from time to time. Would you mm. be as would you be as mousy if you were working for a commercial station? And of course, the honest to God answer is, well, mm. maybe not, you know, with, mm. with a mortgage and with bills, maybe not. You know, mm. I'd like to think that there's mm. more to me than that. But I concede I don't know. We, we have David Sedgwick on, on the line, a terrific author, uh, lecturer, um, journalist, 
his books are, we're going to talk about some of his recent books and we're going to talk about Amazon in a few minutes and we'll talk about that in some depth because it's hugely important. But I, I, I could have choked on the irony today when BBC presenters, and, and nobody knows more about BBC presenters <laughs> than you do, came out to to praise Marina Ovz, I can't pronounce this, it's Ovzi Anakova, Ovzi Anakova. Now, so Marina, it looks fairly genuine. Marina Mm. bombed uh, the studio of a live Mm. news show and said, listen, stop the war, don't believe the propaganda, they're lying Mm. to you here. We had BBC Mm. presenters queuing up to say (laughs) that this was heroic, brave and inspirational, that the woman wouldn't repeat the government propaganda. Is it, is it the case that irony is lost on these people or are they so up their own arses that it just doesn't well, occur to them? Yeah, I, I do like the irony of the BBC tell, uh, applauding, <laughs> stand, taking a stance against the government. Yes. <laughs> That's the ultimate irony. But yeah, you, you're right. They, this, this, is, this often happens in any... Repre- when, when you get a repressive regime, what you get is you get the sycophants who are, who are close to the belly of, of the beast and with, with, with quite high positions, good salaries, good lifestyles. And this kind of religious element kicks in where they feel as if they have to be overtly expressing it all the time to keep in with, with the party hierarchy. Do you see what I mean? So when you get Nicky Campbell and friends doing this, I don't know what he privately thinks. Maybe privately he's horrified. Who knows? We have to, when you, when you start, when we uh, embark in a, in a repressive regime, we have to keep. We, we have two lives. We have a private life indoors and, and a private public face, and that's how communism works. It, it makes you uh, suspicious, and it makes you keep your own views inside to very small circles. So, it also rewards. And, and people like Nikki Campbell and BBC people and any mainstream journalist knows that they want to. They want to be seen to be praising, to be seen to be a right thinker. It's not just good enough to be neutral. You have to be seen to be worshiping at the altar of you know UK and US imperialism and expansionism and, and globalism. And and no doubt that they're very crafty people. You know, people like Nicky Campbell, he knows that if he keeps saying these things and if he condemns the right people and ignores all the wrong people, you know, the the what uh, Chomsky calls um rightful victims, you know, um worthy victims and unworthy victims, as long as they're doing that and they're towing the party line, like in any communist system, they expect to be re- rewarded at the end of the day. And Richie and people like Nicky Campbell earns 500,000 pounds a year. Yeah. That's his reward. That's his bloody reward. Folks, will you do me a favour? Will you log on to StocktonHeath.net? Bookmark the website Stockton Heath. That's Stockton, H-E-A-T-H. That's all one word. Stockton Heath. .net. You'll find out about David's recent books there. There's a blog there, which is hugely interesting. And uh, do support this journalist if you can. Uh, not because he, he's some charity case, because he's an excellent writer. And, that, and that's how you keep the independent media going. Yeah. StocktonHeath.net. Now, a few years ago, I met a chap. I was down on the Isle of Wight and I was seeing David Icke. had a chat with David, then met with his son, Jamie. And I met a lovely young chap from America. And he'd written a couple of books in, in the 90s when he was young about various, you know, coming totalitarian agendas. And the mm. books were well written and they were published. But then he, the, the books were taken off sale in, in various bookshops and he lost his deal. But he said, he said, Richie, he said, this development, and this is quite a few years ago, he said, this development with Amazon, he said, is, is going to be of some help to me in the future. And I said, what development with Amazon? Well, he said, I can get my book printed and published and sold through Amazon 
And mm. that way, he said, I don't have to worry about getting ditched by the publisher. But he wasn't stupid, no more than you are, my friend. He said, mm. it's okay for the moment, but I wonder what it will mean for publishing and freedom of expression in the near future. Now, you, you no better man in the world to talk about this than you at the moment. 80% mm. of all book sales are done by Amazon. Um, your excellent books by uh, about the BBC, which are absolutely outstanding. I'm gushing over them. Things I criticise BBC journalists for doing, but they are must-reads, right? BBC Brainwashing Britain and The Fake News Factory. Um, you could get those on Amazon. I, I, I think you still can uh, get them yes. on, on Amazon. Um, but you've run into a bit of, a, a bit of trouble with mm. Amazon, and it's about a recent book, mm. uh, Revisiting... Uh, the Cartland case, imagining mm. a murder. Tell us the story from the top and why this is a really important cautionary tale for where we're going with publishing and freedom of speech and free writing. Mm. Yeah, well, um, in, as you rightly say, Richard, I, I spent a couple of years writing about the BBC I, and I, I think I'd pretty much said most of what I wanted to say. Um, in order to write those books, I, I had to go independent. Previous to writing the BBC books, I had written motor racing books, Formula One books, with, with a publisher. And it was all very nice, and I did, did okay by doing that. But five or six years ago, I thought, I can't spend my life writing motor racing books. There's, there's a lot happening in the world. So I turned towards the BBC first of all, wrote those two books. They were, they were moderately successful, mainly thanks to people like yourself and, and other independent media who actually allowed me to talk about them. Because as you can imagine... There's absolutely no mainstream reviews of my books. They, the yeah. BBC books, they don't, they don't exist because the establishment will never criticise the establishment. We know that. Birds of a feather together. There's no, no mainstream newspaper will ever review one of my BBC books, even though they're, they're quite popular. Anyway, so I, I said what I'd wanted to say, and I felt it was time to uh, take, go into a different area of writing, and I've always been interested in true crime. Anyway, so to cut a long story short, I, I'd always known about this, this strange murder that happened in, in France back in 1973. It was the murder of a British headmaster and former intelligence agent in World War II. And it was a hugely um, pop, it was a huge, it was an international case all the way through 1973. And the French police never solved the crime and New Scotland Yard got involved and they never solved the crime. I'd known vaguely about this for many, many years. Anyway, so I thought, great, I, I wonder if I could do it or could I solve the crime? It was, quite a, it was quite a big ask. So anyway, so I, I spent two years researching and writing about this crime. I went back, I found original witnesses. Um, it went all the way up to the Ted Heath government, uh, Pompidou, Robert Mesnay, the French prime minister. And I finally managed to publish it last year in the UK. But again, it was an independent project. So I was on my own. Um, anyway, so I put it onto UK Amazon and they pretty much suppressed it right from the start. Um, you couldn't find the book, for example, if you went to search for the book on uh, Amazon.co.uk, you would need the full title and my name to actually even get the book, bringing the book up onto the sales page. Then I got a couple of emails from people telling me they'd written reviews of the book and Amazon had taken them down straight away. Jesus. Yeah, so they, they basically what they were trying to do, they were just trying to make it as difficult as possible. They won't say to me, or other people like myself, they will never say, look, we're not going to publish that, never. What they prefer to do is they prefer to sucker you in and then basically suffocate you. So it's, it's a little, it's cruel because you'd rather them say, look, mate, we don't want your book. And I'd say, okay, fine, I won't publish it. It's you. abominable. Yeah, um, so is. that was the first stage. Now, because the crime had occurred in France, I had quite a lot of contact from people in France. In, it, it, it happened in Provence. So I know quite a lot of people 
Pogba, and it's still very, it's still quite a popular crime. The, the man who kills from Brighton, but in the UK, it's not so well known. But in France, it's one of their most notorious unsolved crimes. And they still talk about it, and it pops up in the media. So I thought, okay, I'll translate the book into French, would you believe? Maybe the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but I, I got in touch with a French translator, and I paid her quite a good sum of money to help me to translate the book into French. It took six months. Wow. Uh, I managed to publish it in February in, on Amazon France. And last week, just in fact two, two weeks ago, and for the first week, um, I was doing okay in terms of sales because I'm, I'm part of several Facebook groups down there. I was keeping people informed of the book's progress. So it sold okay for the first week. And then a week ago, sales just went dead, nothing. So from selling, and then day after day after day for a week, I got no sales. And I thought, what the heck's going on here? Hey, someone, to cut a long story short, someone contacted me in France and said, hey, I was looking for your book. I thought I thought you'd publish the book in France. I, I, I've been looking forward to it. Where is it? So I thought, what do you mean? Where is it? It's, it's on Amazon France. So I went to check on Amazon France, put the uh, title of the book into the, the book is called Imagining a Murder. That's the English title. In French, it's called Imaginaire un Muerte. So I put that into the search bar and it doesn't come up. It's not there. <laughs> what, did, what did Amazon say when you obviously contacted them? Yeah. Well, I've been on the phone to them. I spent the whole of the last 72 hours trying to say to them, look, the book doesn't exist. The book is there, but what they've done is they've changed the search term. So if you look for Imaginaire un Muerte, what they've done is it defaults to Imagier. So they've taken the N, they've taken one letter out of the title, and it defaults to a completely different page of sale. What I get now is colouring books. And can France. you be sure that somebody has done that deliberately? Yeah, because one week ago I checked and it was number one because it, the title is very unique. Imaginaire un Muerte, yeah. Imagining a Murder. There's only one book in the whole of France, Amazon.uk, with that title. So for a week it was coming up number one in the search. In fact, it was the only search for that particular item. And then there were some other underneath that were similar titles, but it was the only one that came up first of all. So something had changed and my sales went from seven or eight or nine or ten a day to zero. To nothing. So something had happened. So I keep going back to them and I spend time on the phone saying to them. And I videoed, I think I sent you a little video. Yeah, you sent me the video, back. yeah. I put that on, um, I put it on YouTube as well. And I think in the article I've written for you, I put the link and people can see what's happening. How if you search for other books by their title, it comes up immediately. Well, of course it would, because if you're in a, if you go to a library and you go to a bookshelf, you expect to find the book course, in the correct shelf. Of course, of course you do, yeah. But with uh, my book, you go to the shelf where my book should be, and it's not there. It's in a it's in a it's in a loft or a basement somewhere in the library. Well, you, you can can't imagine. you can't even get a ladder and go and look for it, even. No, because they they've hidden it well away. In fact, the only way you can get my book on Amazon France is if you put the entire title, including the main title, the subtitle, and my name. Jesus and Christ. It appears right at the very bottom of the page if you do that. Even if you do now, that, even if you put in the whole caboodle, yes, every bit of it. Yes, indeed. Even if you put the entire title, so that's clearly the only book in the world, yeah. especially on Amazon France with that title, you'd expect it to come up immediately. And if you, before I ask you the inevitable, which is, has this something to do with your expose of the BBC? Did you... Because this, I mean, you might be aware, you might not be aware, but but my uh, missus is French, and uh, she will she will no doubt know about the case. With the case being such, because uh, I didn't know anything about the case, but but because you were coming on, I obviously went to have a look for the book. Mm. Like you said, you can't find it, but I, I looked at the case, and yeah, 
notorious, one of the most infamous cases in France. Did you think mm. of trying after the translation? Did you think of sending it to some French publishers? Well, the problem is, Richie, that if you, well, first of all, if you approach any publisher with any book, it's a very long and difficult process. Yeah. Um, they will usually say something like, well, maybe, but it's going to take 18 months because we have our list published so far in advance. We can't guarantee. Leave it with us for three months. We'll get back to you. And then generally speaking, they'll say, no, sorry, we, we can't publish it. It's a very, it's, it's, it's massively competitive, Richie. And really, I don't want to wait around for publishers. So your question is actually, I did actually approach some French publishers um, last year because I thought it far easier for them to translate it than me. Yeah. But I didn't hear anything back from them, nothing. And again, it's that thing of if you're a mainstream uh, journalist, publisher, television station, I think I'm starting to realise that they stick together. They do stick together. And there's no doubt that you're, you know, because you are well known and your BBC books are well known. I know you're very modest, but they are. Richie, 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 I actually changed, I purposely changed my name. You changed, this is it, of course. You've written this on the the book about the murder under a pseudonym. That's that's, right. That's why I did it. Yeah. But that's why I did it, because I was very, very nervous. Knowing what yeah. I know of generally about you know my research and stuff, I thought if I publish under my name, David Sedgwick, they're going to say, ah, that's the guy that wrote that book yeah. about he criticised the BBC. Now, I was a bit naive because I, I changed my name to Stockton Heath, by the way, is a village in Warrington where I used to spend time. Is it not too far from these parts? Yeah, I didn't know yes, that. You, you yeah. might, it's a lovely little area. When I, I was sent there as a kid down the M62 for every single summer holiday I spent there. So I thought, oh, that's quite a nice name. Yeah. But... um. I was a bit naive, Richie, because what I did, although I changed my name, of course, I completely forgot that I'm still in the Amazon machine. So Amazon still recognized me as being the same author who wrote the BBC yeah. books. I was a bit stupid. I didn't, I didn't think it through that much. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I could go back. I'd rather, what I have to do is I have to start again and have yeah. a completely different Amazon account, completely different bank account, different IP number. You know, if I was going to change identity, you can't change your identity that easily, especially no. with big tech. Thanks, by the so way, for the... They thank, knew it was me. They knew it was you. Thanks for the Biff Tannen wake-up, by the way. Hello. It just went straight over my head that you've, you've published as Stockton Heath. And, of course, I was thinking about this today. So thanks for reeling, reeling me back in. That's very important. Yeah. So you, you, you took the step of the pseudonym, and yet still yeah. they can get you. My, my, my friend and colleague, Jean Anne, a uh, lovely writer herself and, and, a, and a great journalist, um, she's just aghast at this and and there are a lot of comments on this on the website it's it's really hitting home to people because mm. i didn't actually understand what was going on until you told me today these mm. bastards will mm. not say no to anything they will publish everything just mm. so that they have it and they can suppress it yes indeed and wow Richie, what, what, and they, they get this gets worse um in my interactions with amazon i've been asking them to give me an agreement. I've said, what are your obligations to me? I'm a publisher. I've given you my work. Yeah. What are, my, what are your obligations to me? What I want them to say to me is, here's the contract which says that we will promote your book, or at least we won't suppress it. But do you know something? There is no such thing as a contract. They keep telling me, that they, give, they keep telling me, here's the publisher's obligations to Amazon. Here's what you have to do for Amazon. And I say, no, no, no. What I want is, what are your obligations to me? Yes, That's because you're in work. business, because you were in business with yes, them. Yes, but you know, Anne, Richie, Richie, there is absolutely no contract. It doesn't exist. I mean, obviously, there is an implicit contract. I, I'm not a legal expert, but I'm sure people will tell me. There must be an implicit contract between 
when you give someone your work and they're selling the work on behalf of you. However, as far as I can see, and I've tried for 72 hours, it doesn't, there's no formal contract. So that's obviously Amazon planning ahead, thinking, listen, we, we'll just take your work and we, we've got no obligation to you. We can do what we like with it. Now, I don't know if other people, other publishers, because I'm not the only person who publishes on Amazon. I don't know if other people realize that. But so far, I've been stonewalled. They will not send me a single item. And I think that's because they're worried about legal action. That I might say, hey, you're breaking your contract with me. But there isn't a contract, but I, I suspect that in, in law, there must be an implicit contract. There must contract. be. So here, here's, so the obvious next question is then, is it worse instructing, you know, a solicitor, a high street solicitor, where maybe it wouldn't be so expensive, at least not in the short term anyway, to, to, to write to them and say, hey, listen, we, we want to know what your legal obligation is to us. Mm. Well, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, I know we, we were saying this before about um, the cost, you know, you were saying know, about the being cost. smeared. Yeah. Um, it puts you off instantly because you're talking about the world's richest man here. Yeah. And you, you sort of already assume that every avenue will be cut off or it's going to cost you an arm and a leg and it's going to cost you your house. And in the end, they're still going to win. I, I, I guess I was kind of flirting with the idea of doing some kind of crowdfunding, but I, I, I'm a bit suspicious of those things. And I know people get asked all kind of crowdfund and I don't really want to get involved in that but I would love to just take because I've got the evidence I think you you see that video evidence that I'm showing people yeah and, and uh, the article shows. I I asked David today just on a whim would he would he write that story so that I could put it on the website tomorrow uh, morning which I will do tomorrow morning and the video is on there so you can see this I mean he, 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 this is perfectly illustrated this is it's a clear. huge problem because they, they own publishing now Effectively, yeah, yes, yeah, and that and that's that's you know talking you to, talking you today. I'm I'm just wondering how far this is going to go because we're getting sucked into this matrix, all of us, and it's a very slippery slope because once you're in there, we're all victims. We we are helpless, and yeah. I I'm, I mean I myself, and my wife, we've taken some steps to try to get ourselves out of the matrix. So I, I, I told you before, we we haven't had a television set for ten years. That's that's absolutely that's been the best decision ever. We've we don't have mobile phones. We cut ourselves off from all that kind of thing. We refuse to have any kind of smart meter in our house. And as for Alexa, that bloody Alexa thing, forget that, obviously. But, but the, the more people are getting suckered into this, you know, their Sky TV dishes, their subscriptions, smartphones, apps. We don't have apps. I've never downloaded an app in my life, Richard. I never will. And I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Amazon have killed the book. I have to move on from that. But I'm still passionate about trying to get people to understand that you've got to get away from get this, away from this it. machine. And what we could have you to do extract now? ourselves away from it. What, what could you do? I, I mean, what, what could someone like you do? Could you, could you write it and could you sell it yourself in, oh, help me out here, in kind of like in a Kindle, in a PDF form, yeah, format? Um, could you do that? Is that possible? Well, I've, I've got my own website, but it's a very low traffic website. I mean, I'd, I'd have to spend years and years and years building up. I and mean, they tell independent, if you're an independent author, they tell you to get an emailing list. But that's something that takes years and years and years to develop. And, and I know people aren't very happy about getting spam email. So that's one way. Um, yeah, you can actually, there are, there, are sli- there, are some, there are third party aggregators. So the only thing I, the only solution I've got to this is perhaps to go through a third party aggregator who publish with Google Books and Amazon and uh, Kobo, uh, get another name, a third identity, so they don't know it's Stockton Heath, they don't know it's David Cedric, to get a third 
uh, a pseudonym and then to publish through the third party aggregator and they publish it on my behalf. Do you see what I mean? So it would still go through Amazon, but it would be through this. There's, there's quite a few of them, the, the draft to digital. There's, there's quite a lot of these aggregators now. They will publish uh, paperback and ebook via all these different kinds of um, outlets. So that, that's one way of doing it. But that means I lose control. You know, at the moment I'm sitting here, I can check my sales. I can check my information about my publishing and I can take it up or put it down when I want. I can amend it when I want. But I would I would see that um, input to the third party aggregator. But that's as far as at this moment in time, that's the only way. But the only way. Yeah, you, you can sell. I mean, I've got a website. I've got an a e-commerce facility on my website, but I don't think that anyone would. I don't know. I, people always go to things like Amazon. You know, they, they're a little bit less um, willing to do transactions, I think, with, with personal websites. I'm a little bit like that. You know, I think we, we trust, for some reason, we all trust the big players and we get drawn to them. So I, I don't know if um, readers would come to my website and say, hey, yeah, okay, I'll buy that paperback book from you. I don't, I just don't see that happening. Well, as long as when you publish something that you do have the support of the independent media, it's vital that, you know, I'm always saying to people, if they've published a book on some of the subjects we speak about and they'd like to come on to talk about it, obviously, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're welcome. Anybody is welcome to do that. Now, yeah. you're, not, you're not an amateur writer. You're a brilliant professional mm. writer. And, and, and I, you know, I make that separation. But um, that's what we have to do. We, we have to keep yeah. making the space for, for yeah. authors like yourself. I remember a few years back, when, when I was based in Spain, and I, I know you live and have lived some of the time in Spain, I, when, I, when I did a late night show at, at Talk Radio Europe, I used to interview authors that were published by a company called Trinday.com. That's T-R-I-N-E, D-A-Y.com. And the guy who opened that business, whose name escapes me, was a lovely fella. And he used to publish conspiracy authors. But but on, on wonderful things, Dr. Mary's Monkey, all sorts of stuff, JFK mm. and everything. And um, I just checked as we were chatting, not that I wasn't listening to you, I was, but I just had a quick check. It's still going strong. Now, I'm not mm. suggesting that you, you know, get into bed with Trine Day in America. Mm. But if someone in America can do that, and, mm. and, you know, even if they don't make a profit, but they don't make a loss, mm. I, I wish somebody with a few bob, you know, mm. who knows where this totalitarian tiptoe is ultimately leading. I wish that somebody with a few bob would get involved and f facilitate the publishing of books um, for people like yourself. You know, but as you know, an author... Inst Richie, instantly, yeah. the BBC, the mainstream media, would be attacking them. Saying yeah, that they're publishing. tearing this them is down, yeah. I mean, you, know, you know what happened with Duck, Duck, Go, Go recently? They, they suddenly came out to say, you know, that's the alternative, that's supposedly the alternative search engine to Google. Yeah. And it's one I used to use until last week. They came out and said, hey, we're now starting to curate our articles and we're going to rank them the way that Google ranked them so we stop Russian, alleged Russian disinformation. Bullshit. So they've lost a lot of people because that, that was what people went to go, go, go for, is that they wouldn't do that. But what, what happens is ultimately, even you can see any, any publisher or anyone who gets started any business these days, they're so hypersensitive that they're going to be smeared as being anti-Semites. And this is why, you know, this is why these communist organizations do it. And that's why the BBC and CNN smear people, because they know the power of a word can stop a business in its tracks. And that's what DuckDuckGoGo basically buckled, because they didn't want, because people say, hey, if you're not censoring Russian disinformation, that means you're pro-Russian. 
that's what you are, duck, duck, go, go. And they try to get ahead of the curve by saying, hey, we're now going to start curating to make sure you don't get Russian disinformation. So even the, even the, any company these days, we live in such a mad world. They're so hypersensitive. Politicians are hypersensitive too. They won't dare to go against what is in fact corporate intimidation and bullying. That's all it is, Richie. Yes, the BBC yeah. and CNN and Sky, all they do is they get people scared by bullying them and the threat of intimidation. They are the ultimate schoolyard bullies. The tactics are what you remember from the school playground with the school bully, you know? Absolutely. The guy who used to run everything because he used to steal your sweets from the, 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 the tuck shop and you're scared, you can't retaliate back. That's the kind of thing we're talking about with this main... And, and I, I put it down to effectively the mainstream media, the and globalist yeah. propaganda main, mainstream media. That's the power it has over us. And like you said, if it would be brilliant if, a, if an alternative platform ar arose uh, to, to Google or Amazon or eBay even... Um, but you can see what happened straight away. If if it gave any kind of oxygen to anyone who's publishing um, dissident or anti-establishment material or books or plays or songs, straight away it's smeared. The mainstream media move in and smears and it. smear. And you know we haven't even. There's a massive big elephant in the room, and I'm supposed to hate cliches. There's a monstrous cliche. There is an elephant in the room, and that is central bank digital currencies oh, and, the end, and the end of cash. So yes. I, I love reading David Sedgwick and I do. I mean, I'm not kissing your arse. I love reading you. Uh, I've got the book here in my hand. I've got the BBC oh. book I've, and I refer to them all the time. Thank After you. reading them, I use them as reference books now. When I want to make a point about something and I think maybe I'm wrong, I'll check the book. No, I do. Honest to God. Mm. So I, so David writes well, about something. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm probably going to do a third book now. I, I am. I am so. <laughs> I've got yeah, nowhere else so to turn. So much to talk about. So, you. And I'm, I'm thinking of calling it. Um, is that true, or did you hear it on the BBC? Yeah. Because that's a very popular meme. So watch this space. I, I'm, I'm working on that one as we speak. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll be welcome to come on here and talk about Thank it you. as I'll many times as you want. But I was yeah. thinking. So you bring out. Um, is that true, or did you hear it on the BBC? Now, if you publish that in the central bank digital currency era where cash is, is gone, I might be sanctioned for, for attempting to buy it. Yeah, that's, that's where it ultimately goes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it, um, in the Soviet Russia, because it called Samizdat, the illegal printing of literature. You know, that was a crime in Soviet Russia. They had to have secret printing presses. Um, the, the Stalin's fascists could come around at any moment and, and smash up your printing press. It was all distributed in coffee shops, under tables, dissident literature. That's where we're going. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting that all the, the people doing this are the so-called liberals, the ones who've been warning against fascism. <laughs> you know, yes. The same people who've been telling you for years about people like, you know, George Orwell's 1984, oh, yeah. my God, what a terrible society. We don't want to ever go there. These are the ones that are actually implementing that same society as we speak. You know, we, we, you saw Trudeau give week who closed down... Uh, the bank accounts, in other words, the livelihoods of people who were peacefully protesting. And then last week had the gall to stand up and warn against authoritarianism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The mask has slipped now and they don't care. The mask has gone and they're going to close you down, burn your book. It will be book burning soon. There'll be a BBC night of book burning, with, you know, hosted by Nicky Campbell. It's and hosted going, by yeah, Nicky Campbell, like, yeah. He's brainwashing Britain. Throw yeah. that on the folks, you know. Yeah. And you have... You have this. In fact, Richie, just a quick story here. Um, recently, I've been noticing something. Uh, my local library, I can order books. 
you know, on this because this is related to what we're talking about. Um, because I, I like quite obscure esoteric books, books you can't get generally, sometimes you can't get on Amazon. Um, for example, last week I read a fantastic book by David Yallop called um, In God's Name. And he, he puts forward the case that Pope John Paul I was, was murdered after 33 days of being the pontiff in 1978. Very convincing book. You'll probably find that difficult to get hold of. But the, my local library sometimes gets me these very obscure books. That, that book was published in 19, 1984, but it's quite difficult to get hold of. But my, the point I'm trying to say here is that I, whilst my library will get me some pretty obscure books. I mean, a few weeks ago, it got me a book that was published in France in 1929, would you believe? It managed to get hold of that. But every time I put, I actually try to get a book by on climate change, it tells me it can't get, can't get me that book, even books that were published last year on climate change. There's one called Climate Change, The Facts, by the ex-head of Greenpeace, I think. Um, oh, yes. I tried to get hold of yeah, that. Yeah. Can't find it. They can get me a book published in France in 1929. And, <laughs> and, and Google... Um, is and has been for some time making it difficult, making it very difficult to find speeches by geologists like Ian Plymer and others who have debunked climate change. So this is this is where it's all kind of yeah. ultimately heading, isn't it? It's and we're just at the start. The, the one that worries me, Rich, is I feel like we're just at the start. This this has got a momentum, a, a very sinister momentum that that all these these MPs are jumping on this bandwagon because they want to be seen to be in the party, you know, or we'll call it the inner party. And these inner party people, they will they will trample over anything as long as they can stay within the inner party. You know, I call it the golden circle. The golden people, circle, yeah. Yeah, people are very conscious about stepping outside the golden circle, you know, and it doesn't matter about morality. They don't care what morality is. And in fact, you know, you can see how these genocidal regimes get ahead of steam because once the pitchforks come out, what listening to these Tory MPs, um, and what they're saying about Putin or Putin and Putin well, is incredible and it's chilling to the bone to listen to any MP, but especially these conservatives who call themselves libertarians, calling for these kind of sanctions like, you know, we're going to crack down, we're going to come after academics, we're going to get them fired, we're going to ruin your livelihood if you dare. So if you dare say the truth, if you tell the truth, we're going to come after you and crack down on you. Or even ask a question, even point out even an inconsistency, yeah. you know, point out an inconsistency yes. in Incredible. the story. And you, Don't and you dare that. Done. Don't you even dare. Don't you even dare say one thing off the party line. This is, this is 1984. It's even worse. On steroids. I want to ask you two quick questions. Mm. Um, you've been listening to David Sedgwick, folks. David is an author, academic, um, sports writer. And, and journalist, very, very, very good writer. Get those BBC books uh, do. He, he's written Imagining a Murder, the Cartland Case Revisited, which sounds absolutely uh, a must read. I want to try and get it. Don't send it to I'll me. Send you no, one. no, you won't. I'll, I'll, I'll buy it online. The least I could do for you coming on. No, if I will buy it. it. <laughs> and and I'll, when, it, when it arrives, I'll take a photograph. So, so, so you, you <laughs> he's a bullshitter, that Richie. No, no, I have bought it. Here's, here's the photograph. Where should people go online then? Should they go to StocktonHeath.net? Or where do you want to go? What do you mean? You mean for the book? Um, for the book, for the blog, where to, to find more about you? Oh, well, right. Well, well, my my website is now. Yeah, it's. I, I think you mentioned it before. It's www.stocktonheath.net. Great. Um, yeah, I'm going by that that net. I had to, like I said, I had to adopt um, that identity, but I don't know if that was a mistake now, even because you know, once you know, I suspect um, that there's some sort of blacklist 
uh, not not maybe a physical blacklist, but I, I think information now the, the world we live in, I think information is being pinged. I think that's that's the term these days. Yeah. Pinged between agencies and entities, and I think they're coalescing. I think the you know the BBC, like Orwell said, the BBC, CNN, the the Foreign Office, the politicians local government i think they're coalescing into something very very sinister and if you're not with them they consider you to be an enemy and they're pinging this information and i think they're they're saying like right now we're in this like the soviets we've got people who we consider to be dissenters and we're going to purge those dissenters and i think that's where we're going that's now. where we're heading i'm um david has kindly written about what we've discussed about amazon uh which is very good of him to do that so i'm going to Post that on richieallen.co.uk tomorrow. The link to the YouTube video is on there and the link to stocktonheath.net will be there as well. When you do see that on the website, please share it everywhere. And do go on the website stocktonheath.net and, uh, and and give it a good browse. Thanks for coming back, mate. It's been too long. And uh, Ooh, let's, not, let's not leave it as long. Let's get you back on in a few weeks. Even yeah. just to, if, if you just come on to help me run down the biggest news stories of the day because yeah, I can do that you're, you're brilliant, mate. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And all the best to you and the missus in the yeah. meantime. And thanks for thanks today. Thank Cheers, David. Uh, the terrific David Sedgwick live on the Richie Allen Show for Tuesday, the 15th of March, 2022. I, I, I really can't say it enough, folks. Those BBC books, um, which I've got here in my hand. I've got a lovely library here of various books that I've received over the years, over a good few years, you know, from writers in the independent media. I've got some of David's books here, uh, David Icke's books, of course. I've got plenty. And uh, they are very helpful, even after reading them, you know, as reference guides from time to time. But yeah, David published uh, BBC Brainwashing Britain, question mark, and the follow-up to Fake News Factory. And we were talking about a case, notorious French murder case, imagining a murder, the Cartland case revisited, which Amazon has been playing very silly uh, games and damaging games financially uh, with uh, with David's book. And there's no doubt it's because of his work exposing the the workings, the inner workings of the BBC and how the BBC does what it is the, uh, the BBC does. Yeah. Your comments, thanks for them. They were legion this evening. RichieAllen.co.uk comment live. Let's have a look. Uh, Mike says, Richie, David, personally, I buy whatever books like yours that I can get as an audiobook. A lot of people like audiobooks these days. If they drive or if they're in the gym on the treadmill, they like the old audiobooks. Space for books is an issue for more and more people. Plus, my eyes are glued to screens for work so much that reading becomes further a strain on the eyes. So I like to shut my eyes and listen, says Mike. But so few books make it to audio, he says. And the voice is, of course, important for, for most and probably different, he says, uh, for, for, for some people. That's, that's good. That's good. can't remember whose car it was. Was it Paul Ripley's or was it Hayden Hewitt's? Maybe Paul's. And he had in the, what the Americans call the, the glove compartment, he had some audiobooks in there. Um, yeah, why not? John says, thanks, Richie, another two great guests. Bruce says, David sounds surprised by half of what he is saying. If his own revelations are a shock to him, 
perhaps give writing a break and read a few books. Bruce, that's a bit harsh. I've been speaking to people for many years who prophesied the lurch to totalitarianism. And they wrote about it. And they came on shows with me and talked about it. And they made sense to me. And I got the sense that they were correct. And I looked at their evidence and I thought, yes. But it doesn't stop you being horrified by things happening on a daily basis. You know, you might know it's coming or you might read the the David Icke book or the, the Jim Mars book or others, many others. You might think, yes, the evidence presented in this book does suggest it's going to go tits up. But when these things happen, like when a when a government minister goes on the fucking television and suggests to people that they play Tinder refugee now, that's not the term he used. But go on social media, identify some poor, unfortunate creature or creatures, humans, human beings, reach out to them, offer them a room in your house for six months, then go on to the government website, Homes for Ukrainians, we'll sort out the paperwork and we'll give you £350 a month. It's vaudeville. Yes, I gasp when I read shit like that or when I hear it. And you would think or you would imagine that me, of all people, doing this type of show for over a decade, you would say, Ah, Richie, you're having me on. Surely you're not surprised. I am. Every day of the week, I'm surprised. I'm closing out the programme with this from The Clash. Thanks to the great Marilyn Hawes, and the wonderful David Sedgwick. That was Tuesday's programme. Join me tomorrow, Wednesday at five. Take care of yourselves and one another. Clamp down. This is kind of appropriate too, isn't it? How apt. Bye. Bye.